0: Hi, Foxies. The episode you're trying to listen to is right around the corner, but first we need your help. You may have noticed that there are no ads during The Fox and the Foxhound. We prefer this being ad haters ourselves, but we need your help to keep it that way. If you love this show, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash The Fox and the Foxhound. We have Patreon tiers starting at just $1 a month. And not only will you get fun extra content and an unedited cut of every episode two days early, you'll be directly responsible for keeping the show going in all of its ad-free glory. Thanks to all of our existing patrons, past patrons, and hopefully future patrons. Enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm Amanda.
1: And I'm Kevin, and we are the Wilsons. I'm reading through the Harry Potter series for the first time. And I'm a
0: devoted Potterhead.
1: We've been married almost a year now and started the show when we were still engaged.
0: Each week, we read a chapter, or sometimes two or three, and discuss our journey through the series. We also pull marriage lessons from each week's text, and Kev makes a prediction about what we can expect from the series in the future.
1: This is a podcast about Harry Potter, but it's also a podcast about love, relationships, community,
0: and the world. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We're glad you decided to join us. Settle in, make some friends through our many social media platforms, and enjoy the ride.
1: If you're already a regular listener, welcome back. We can't do this without you.
0: Fair warning for first time readers of the series as long as you don't read ahead of Kev, you won't encounter spoilers.
1: And a fair warning to all of our listeners we occasionally get really excited about the series and use adult language to express ourselves.
0: We're glad you're here. At the end of the show, you can find out how to interact with us, your gracious hosts, connect with other listeners, and ways you can support the show through our Patreon page. Welcome to the Fox and the Foxhound.
1: Well, it's time to dive into the second half of the gut-wrenching chapter, The Lost Prophecy.
0: Why are we doing this to ourselves and to all of you? Why would we do it twice? Why? Just why? Well, I
1: mean, just to break it up a little. I'm glad now I've read this. It's been a little while ago. So now it's not so fresh and I don't feel so vulnerable.
0: That's true. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I
1: feel a little stronger today, but we'll see.
0: Yeah. We'll see how long that lasts. Yeah. I mean, we don't have any like reading to do. I guess we just kind of we jump right in where we left off. Really? Right. Give us like a a, a, where did we end? Really? So we ended
1: talking about how Dumbledore found out that Sirius was at the ministry. And right. that's because Sirius commanded Creature to tell him. And we talked about how Creature had hurt Buckbeak and Sirius was upstairs. And that's mm-hmm. why when Harry caught him on the fire phone, Creature's the one that answered and Sirius was nowhere about.
0: Very nicely done. Yes. Yeah,
1: that's about where we were. And so Dumbledore is still running his mouth without letting Harry talk.
0: <laughs> yeah. And Harry's anger kind of starts shifting towards creature and it's kind of starting. like harry had kind of calmed down a little bit and was sort of listening and now that anger is kind of rising to the surface again but i'm really struck by like he, he kind of can't form much like me at this moment kind of can't form complete sentences he's just like and creature i'm sorry he was laughing as he's said. He's so indignant that he can't really make the words come together coherently. And one of the things that Harry says kind of indignantly is like, "Ugh!" and Hermione was telling us to be nice to him. And, and Dumbledore is kind of like, well, yeah, you know, honestly, Sirius didn't make anything better with Creature. You know, Creature was living in this house serving a master he didn't want to serve. And let's face it, Sirius did not make anything easier on Creature. Right. Which is about the last thing that Harry wanted to hear. Yeah. He's like, do not blame Sirius for any of this. Dumbledore very calmly says, Creature is what he has been made by us wizards, Harry. And Harry doesn't have much of a retort to this, except, well, what about Snape? Snape did all this. Snape did all that. Snape, stopped teaching me occlumency. Snape, you know, sucks. Snape is ugly. Snape doesn't wash his hair, probably. You know, he doesn't actually say that. I, I'm editorializing a bit.
1: And I love what Dumbledore tells him right here. He's like, look, Snape's the one that gave Umbridge fake Veritas serum. Remember when she was like, drink, 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 drink. Well, <laughs> Snape had given her fake Veritas serum, so it wouldn't have worked anyway. Right. And Dumbledore says, I trust Snape but i didn't realize he could not get over his feelings about james
0: yeah i've got i had warned you i had some things to say about this
1: okay go ahead and get out your dumble hatred right now
0: it's not hatred let me let me clarify here it's not hatred i just think i really disagree with dumbledore here so he says for me it's on page 767 i'm sure it's it's very different for you but Harry says to Dumbledore regarding Snape and Sirius. He says, Snape goaded Sirius about staying in the house. He made out Sirius was a coward. And Dumbledore says, Sirius was much too old and clever to have allowed such feeble taunts to hurt him, which first of all is very dismissive about somebody else's feelings, which is not something I'm ever super cool with. I don't think it's ever okay to tell somebody else how they feel about something. But for another thing, you know, Dumbledore goes on later to say, just like you were saying, well, Snape never really got over this grudge against James. To me, it's kind of, that's kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth. its It's sort of like saying, well, surely, you know, what you're saying, Harry, about... Snape goading Sirius about staying in the house. That's that's not really a a concrete point because Sirius was much too old to have been affected by that. But all of a sudden, you know, a couple paragraphs down, it's just this very legitimate defense of Snape that he never got over his childhood grudge against James. Yeah. Those two things are not compatible ideas. Right. It's not okay for for Sirius, but it's okay for Snape. And I mean, yes, Harry calls out that hypocrisy a little bit, you know, regarding, oh, well, it's okay for Snape to hate my dad, but it's not okay for Sirius to hate Creature. He calls it out peripherally, but not directly. You know, Dumbledore's own logic isn't coherent
1: here. He kind of calls out the tone of his thing, but not the actual thing you're talking
0: about. Absolutely. And I just, I think that it's... I just think it's very dismissive, this statement of, oh, Sirius was much too old and clever. Well, demonstrably, it did bother Sirius that Snape said those things, that he called him a coward. They almost dueled in the kitchen. But even if we can argue, well, Dumbledore never knew about that, that almost duel in the kitchen that Harry had to stop. Okay, well, let's say he never found out about it, which is hard to believe. You have Harry standing in front of you right now, telling you that it bothered Sirius. Isn't that evidence enough that it bothered Sirius? Yeah. Why aren't you just believing him? It's so dismissive.
1: And what you said earlier when we were talking about this before we started recording is that this is something that would pass over if you were younger, but reading this being an adult, it's like,
0: Yeah, it's kind of like saying, well, trust me, I'm a grown up. It didn't really
1: hit me like that when I read it. Like your argument makes sense, but I didn't get that impression.
0: Yeah, it's really getting under my skin right now.
1: I think it's really hard, too, because Dumbledore is admitting how he messed things up along the way. And he's Mm -hmm. telling this kid, he's saying what every parent says to kids at some point. I did the best I could. Sure. I'm really sorry. I made mistakes along the way. Yeah. But I loved you unconditionally and I did the best I could. And so I mm-hmm. feel like I have a little bit more uh sympathy for Dumbledore right here.
0: I do. I have a ton. It's definitely not all one thing or the other for me. I have a ton of sympathy for Dumbledore throughout this whole chapter. I think that he is owning up to a lot of mistakes and he's very appropriately and beautifully apologizing for those mistakes. But I think there are other mistakes that he is making at the same time during this chapter. And I have more to say about that later.
1: So you mentioned earlier that Harry said, oh, it's okay for Snape to hate my dad, but it's not okay for Sirius to hate Creature. And Dumbledore has a pretty interesting response here. Yeah. Sirius did not hate creature, said Dumbledore. He regarded him as a servant unworthy of much interest or notice. Indifference and neglect often do much more damage than outright dislike. The fountain we destroyed tonight told a lie. We wizards have mistreated and abused our fellows for too long, and we are now reaping our reward.
0: Oof. When you were first reading this chapter, you said one of the moments that struck you was the fountain told a lie.
1: The fountain is a lie.
0: What was it about that?
1: It's because the fountain shows like everyone working together for some common good that there's like a house elf and a troll and a goblin and a wizard human and and they're all triumphantly marching forward together when it really is. There's a hierarchy Mm -hmm. of what's going on in this wizarding society. Mm -hmm. And I love that indifference and neglect are worse than outright dislike.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm inclined to agree.
1: I'm thinking about it in two ways. I'm okay. thinking about it in, I'm thinking about it in our society, marginalized people. That's yeah. sort of the obvious metaphor there. But I'm also thinking about how we have not come a great deal, in my opinion, with the way that we treat non-human animals. Right. Right. On this earth. Right. And w- the most compassionate, kindest people in the world are able to sort of just turn a blind eye to a lot of really messed up things in the way that we treat animals. Absolutely. And I think that ability to just turn our compassion off like a faucet at whatever point that we want, I think it has damaged us. I yeah. think it has given us this sense that. Certain lives are more important than other lives. Yeah, and that there's a certain amount of cruelty that it's easy to just overlook. Mm-hmm. And I think it really is like a base, fundamental part of where we're fucked with our thinking about our own society,
0: yeah. too. Yeah, it's like, really like that you know, point.
1: people often talk about like Chick Fil A and will they eat at Chick Fil A? Will they not eat at Chick Fil A because yeah. of um, you know organizations or whatever that chick-fil-a supports and people say, well, I don't support chick-fil-a, but I still eat there or no, I'll never eat there and boycotting chick-fil-a because of what they do or whatever. I'm like, but there's also another underlying thing behind there. And that's the absolute horrific reality of factory farming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I get, I'm not trying to get into a bait about vegetarianism or animal rights or anything like that, but we do, we have not evolved to a place where we're really have improved conditions as far as the way we raise animals for food. right? And it's just the fact that we can turn a blind eye to it. It's so strange. Yeah. I'm not saying everyone in the world needs to be vegetarian. I understand we're trying to feed 7 billion people in the world right now, and we're not doing a very good job of it, but behind all of the laughter of a good meal and the delicacy of the cooking and all of that behind it is not just there was an animal, it was alive and then it died for food. That's, right. that's biology. Yeah. It's, there's this disgusting, really, really overly cruel way of doing things that's behind all of that. Right. And so what you see in the wizarding world is the same thing. It's like, Nah, we're just, yes, we're all about good and defeating the Dark Lord and being the best we can be. But there are certain things that we're just okay with. You know, there's certain amounts of cruelty and torture and oppression that, meh, nah, we can tolerate at least that little bit.
0: Right. And I think that this conversation is happening very deliberately. And, and these characters are written in this very complex way. Very deliberately, look at the Weasleys, and and I come to the Weasleys for an example a a lot because the Weasleys are if if you put a dividing line, good guys and bad guys, the Weasleys are in the good guys, yes. right for the most part, yes, except right? Except for one, he <laughs> might
1: be under the the uh, Imperius Curse, right,
0: right. All but right. for the most part, the Weasleys are in the good guy pile. But, you know, I mean, they definitely are kind of, at best, clueless about a lot of things. And at worst, like, they're kind of... That family that like, if you brought your black friend home, you'd be kind of cringing sometimes at some of the things that they would say, and they would mean well, but they're sort of like, yeah, you know, really out of touch sometimes. you know what I mean? Yeah, like, and they're not bad people, right, but they are. Not very informed. And it doesn't make them less compassionate, but they sort of, I think, have a cutoff point at how deeply they think about things.
1: And don't we all? Yes. We have certain levels of tolerance of like how far our compassion goes.
0: Absolutely. Like
1: you would think that the things that, some people will will fucking the hill that they'll die on mm-hmm. the things that they're willing to march for the things they're willing to like destroy shit for mm-hmm. sometimes it's like what if we all felt that strongly about i don't know the homeless population right don't you see the homeless in america have become i feel like in our culture's eyes this other like class of people that that are not participating with us and yeah. it's neglect. It's total neglect. It's yeah. almost like, you know, you'll see people say like, and there's this homeless man, like, and there was just like this homeless person, almost like part of this just sort of generic, fuzzy group of people that you don't really think about. Right. And you're not really forced to think about until you see them. Oh, yeah. But we have the means to fix that problem. Oh, We've yeah. always had the means to fix that problem. It's called money. Money. Exactly. And there are people that have it that won't give it up.
0: Exactly. Jeff Bezos.
1: Hate those people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's so true. Yeah, I mean that's But this cool is point. really
1: cool. And this also kind of, you know, we're digressing all over the place. But that's fine. This really goes into our conversations about house elves. And I like that he says, look, creatures' fate's kind of like dobbies. They're yeah. They're sort of stuck where they are. Absolutely. So let's start getting into some really meaty meaty.
0: Meaty meaty. As if that's not meaty enough.
1: So Harry's like of course, Sirius got out of there. He doesn't like to be locked up. People don't like to be locked up. BT Dub. Uh-huh. You know how you locked me up on Privet Drive my entire childhood? I
0: love that Harry brings this up.
1: And this is kind of like what finally pushes Dumbledore. Opens the door for him to say, you know what, Harry? I should have told you everything earlier. I'm going to tell you now. Yep. I'm going to spill all the tea that you want.
0: Absolutely,
1: time for some truth bombs. So the first thing, the most important thing for the beginning of this is, why did you have to live at Privet Drive? Mm -hmm. Which has kind of been a lot of people's question. I think up until this point, like, damn, why do you keep putting him back with these
0: people? You've been asking that question. Yeah,
1: yeah. So Dumbledore tells him, "Look, I knew if you lived with magic people, there's no charm." that could protect you from Voldemort. Right. Because Voldemort's much more powerful. Mm -hmm. They could put a baby protecting charm. They could be uh, a... Special baby. Baby baby, protectus. Baby baby is protectus, whatever. (laughs) He would find you. You know, Voldemort would find you. I also think it's probably easier for Voldemort to find someone in the wizarding world than the muggle world. Oh, yeah. As far as like connections and stuff, you know? Totally.
0: Oh, yeah. He
1: tells them the only charm that Voldemort couldn't break through is your mother's love that she put on you. That's the whole reason that the curse backfired because she loved him so much. She sacrificed herself for him. Mm -hmm. Well, his aunt Petunia is a blood relative. And so that magic still exists. And this is kind of heartbreaking because it's kind of like aunt Petunia somewhere in her core of that nasty woman does love Harry. There's at least this familial magic, That's going between them because she's a blood relative.
0: And because that night where we opened the series, she took him in. Yes. If she had not agreed, if she had rejected him, then presumably... You know, it's not like there could have been another, you know, distant. He couldn't have gone on like Ancestry.com and like found another relative and that still would have right. worked. Yeah. It was kind of crucial that Petunia also accepted Harry. Yeah. And it does kind of make you go, OK. And Harry says she doesn't give a damn about me. And, you know, Dumbledore says, ah, but she did take you in. Yeah. So.
1: She did love her sister on some level, I'm sure. I mean, she
0: was her sister.
1: So this brings me to the place where this chapter absolutely wrecked me. And this is part of the reason we had to chop this episode up. Because I don't think I would have been able to get through it last week. It was too raw and it like brought something out in me. And it was just like, this is what had me sobbing on the back porch, chatting with... People on Discord. Okay. And this is my favorite line of the entire series up until this point.
0: Which you have refused to tell me. I've been dying of curiosity. Okay.
1: But she took you, Dumbledore cut across. She may have taken you begrudgingly, furiously, unwillingly, bitterly, yet still she took you. And in doing so, she sealed the charm I placed upon you. Your mother's sacrifice made the bond of blood the strongest shield I could give you. And Harry starts to say, I still don't understand. And here's the line. While you can still call home the place where your mother's blood dwells, there you cannot be touched or harmed by
0: Voldemort. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can see why that's your favorite. Oh, that's yeah, that's a good one.
1: And now it's like wrecking me again. (laughs) I know.
0: I know. I kind of thought we were like past the tears. Clearly we're not.
1: (laughs) God damn it. But, you know, you had a very close relationship with your mom. I have a very close relationship with my mom. So mom stuff like hits us hard. Yeah. But what hit me first, I don't know why this is. And we talked about this before. So I feel like we're going to be able to like get through it a little easier than the first time I talked to you about it. Yes. You know. Losing your mom a year ago, which is something we've openly talked about on the show. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like I ever, like, properly processed my own grief. Yeah. Because I was worried about you and focused on the family. And it's like, I I think I just, I was sad, but I tried to push it to a place where, like, maybe I'll deal with this later. Yeah. And this line and this chapter, like completely wrecked me
0: yeah. and
1: it brought all of this pain out and all of this grief from losing your mom who was my mother-in-law yeah you know for that i knew for 10 years and something like what made me cry and made me really sad also like made me feel really warm inside and that was remembering how good of a friend your mom was to me yeah like yeah she was very motherly to me but she was also like. She was my buddy. And I started to think about when we first started dating and you have a really big family (laughs) and me coming in as like the new guy to this really giant family where all of your siblings are already married and have spouses. You're the last single person. So anyone that walks into this giant family is the potential like last piece of like this sibling spouse puzzle. Yeah. And it's a very intimidating place to be. Yeah, And your family's wonderful, but just situationally, it's intimidating. Yeah. But your mom always went out of the way to make me feel comfortable and to include me with things. And I started to think about little jokes that we had and how she always made pasta fazool for me mm-hmm. and how she always made sure there was like something vegetarian and all this stuff. And so it made me... It just like broke something open in me. It was really good because it like, A, it allowed me to like really process some of that stuff for the first time. But B, it gave me like, it gave me the magic that I needed to get through it. Like inside of the very grief that I have for her, the magic came in and it was like, yeah, hurts to think about it but this is the magic of a mom. Yeah. The magic of a mom is their love for you that they can't turn it off and how it's just, it really is the most ancient magic in the world.
0: And it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Oh. But it, it destroyed me. <laughs> the way you just said that was, but it destroyed me.
1: <laughs> but what a beautiful line. It's like, As long as you have a mom who loves you or had a mom who loved you, the devil can't touch you because you have something inside of you.
0: And I think it's important to remember, too, that for those out there who maybe don't have that dynamic with their biological moms, I also believe that we can have that kind of relationship with motherly figures in our life, too. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of this idea of chosen family as well. And I know that like, there are quite a lot of people out there who very much had that bond with my biological mom as their chosen mom. And
1: she loved that. There were people that I didn't even know about until she died. And I started to hear the stories (laughs) of all these people that she had been a buddy to and a mom to.
0: Absolutely. And that was just sort of like how she was. She was like mother earth, you know? And so- I think she was sort of the prime example of someone who can absolutely be like a mother to you even if she's not your biological mom. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, cherish that, but I also don't think that ever goes away on this like mortal plane. No. You know, yeah, exactly. Like if you have felt that love in your heart for anybody, it's still there.
1: You have that ancient magic inside. Exactly. Of you. And the th- I love the notion that someone loving you gives you magical protection.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's really cool.
1: It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I love beautiful. it. It's so beautiful. So I can just glance down at my notes right now and I see a really big, I can't. so like every page of my note says that
0: so what what is this next i can't referring to
1: this is dumbledore telling harry there was a flaw in my brilliant plan
0: oh yeah oh my god
1: so he says do you see harry do you see the flaw in my brilliant plan now I had fallen into the trap I had foreseen, that I had told myself I could avoid, that I must avoid. I don't, I cared about you too much, said Dumbledore simply. I cared more for your happiness than your knowing the truth, more for your peace of mind than my plan, more for your life than the lives that might be lost if the plan failed. In other words, I acted exactly as Voldemort expects we fools who love to act.
0: So basically he's saying, you know, you came to school, you were... Unharmed, relatively speaking, neglected but unharmed. You went, had this crazy first year and you asked me these questions, and I didn't tell you what I'm about to tell you because you were too young. Okay, we can justify that. Maybe I should have told you, but I didn't. Second year, I really, I mean, to me, the way I read this is he's like, the second year, I really should have told you. Yeah. But I didn't tell you because I started to care about you too much. And I, to me, the general point he's making is that it would have been infinitely better, and Sirius would not be dead right now if you had had this information. And this is this goes back to what he had said at the beginning of this chapter, which is Sirius being dead right now is my fault. Yeah, and it's my fault because. If you had had all the pieces of the puzzle, and I completely agree, none of this would have happened the way that it happened. I mean, at the same time, it can be argued that if Harry had had all the pieces of the puzzle, then mistakes still could have been made. It just would have been different mistakes.
1: You can't go back.
0: You can't go back.
1: The flaw was he fell in love with this kid. Yeah. And so he was more worried about, like, if I drop this information on him, he doesn't get to have a normal life anymore. Yeah. He's already going through a lot. I just want him to be happy. I want him to have friends and play Quidditch and have at least some semblance of a normal life, even though I know all this stuff's playing out. Yeah. And this really fills in the gap for me of what's always kind of bugged me about Dumbledore. It's like... Okay, I've always said Dumbledore's the puppet master. Yeah, Dumbledore has all of the answers to everything. Why can't he just make certain moves? Yeah, Like, why doesn't he just tell Harry? Why doesn't he do this? Why doesn't he do that? What I was overlooking is what he's telling Harry now.
0: Yeah. Is that
1: because he loved the kid. Yeah. And sure, if parents just went on what's logical. Yeah. Then... Yeah, they would be better parents in the sense that they would make a lot less mistakes. But along with being a parent and knowing there's certain things, there's love. And love gets in the way. Sure. Love makes you forgive things that maybe you shouldn't and tell people things maybe you shouldn't or not tell people things that you should. It's the stickiness that comes with human relationships.
0: Yeah. I mean, ultimately, there are no easy answers here because... I cannot completely, I can't completely forgive this of Dumbledore either because I I feel like there had to be a point at which maybe this year it would have been better for him to let Harry in a little bit. You know, maybe when he learned... We know that he learned that Snape stopped giving him occlumency lessons. To me, that's the hardest part for me to forgive is why not step in then and say, okay, okay, I'm going to step in now and you and I are going to really go full throttle with occlumency. I'm going to fill you in on all of this. Yeah. Because it's too dire at this point. The stakes are too high. I understand his hesitance when the stakes didn't, he knew how high they were, but they weren't as salient. I get that. Yeah, But he says himself, like when Cedric died, he said, I knew the time was coming when I wasn't going to have a choice anymore. I was going to have to tell you all of this. But even then there was still some room for... Letting him continue to live his life, which, first of all, this kid has never had a normal life as much as Dumbledore wanted him to have one. I agree, though, that in keeping this from him, he did give him the option of having as close to a normal life as he could possibly have. And he did give him the option of having friends and, you know, not being just trained as some little warrior his entire childhood. You know, I think that's pretty cool. But to just instead have this whole year, Harry spent this entire year thinking that Dumbledore was mad at him, thought that he was... Weak.
1: He won't even look me in the eye.
0: Yeah. yeah. It, he instead kind of, he didn't just protect him. He caused him a lot of emotional pain. That's the part that I can't really get nicely past.
1: And there's also the fact this is just like when Creature let the Malfoys know that Sirius really cared about Harry.
0: Mm -hmm. It would
1: have put Harry at risk even more if Voldemort knew that Dumbledore had this relationship with him that was beyond just headmaster and kid.
0: Yeah, that's I mean, that's true. It's so messy.
1: It's really complicated.
0: It's so messy.
1: Dumbledore is in a relationship with Harry and it's complicated. (laughs) So then he tells him, here's the shit that I should have told you. Yes. Here's the thing. And he's saying to the audience, here's what you've been waiting five books for.
0: Absolutely. This will
1: start to make this entire series make more sense to you. And I was like, thank God. Yeah. He says, Voldemort tried to kill you as a baby because of a prophecy before you were born. Yes. Voldemort did not hear the full prophecy. Right. He just heard like the first half of it. And in that information was how to kill Harry Potter. Right. So. He says the prophecy is only a record. Right. Right. This is only a record of the truth. The orb. Yeah. The orb itself is just like a record. And who heard it knows it. And Dumbledore is the one who heard it. Absolutely Dumbledore is like, I heard the prophecy in full myself. Which is wicked convenient. And what happened was they were at like Hogshead, I want to say. Yes. And they were in this little room where he was interviewing Sybil Trelawney. Like what kind of school... Does interviews in a bar. (laughs) You have a baby in In a a bar. bar.
0: (laughs) You do love Sweet Home Alabama. Oh
1: my god! Get down here and give me a divorce.
0: (laughs) God, you love that movie. Before you move to New York and turn into some hoity-toity Yankee bitch. I I I know very few people who love that movie as much as you love that movie. If it's on, I can't not watch it. I really oh, yeah. want to watch it this afternoon. Um, okay. Yeah. I might take a nap while you watch that movie. Mm-hmm. I don't mind that movie, but. Uh.
1: So. He's interviewing Sybil. You know, he's like, you know, tell me um, your greatest strengths and weaknesses. And she tells him whatever. And he's like, let's suppose you were in a situation in which a young man was upset with What would you react? You know. <laughs> All this stuff. Do you have any questions for me? um, he's like, okay, well, you know, uh, we'll be in touch. Right. And then Sybil all of a sudden is like, I have a prophecy inside of me. We've seen her go into this state before. I have a prophecy inside of me. Yeah. I have
0: a prophecy.
1: And I want to read her prophecy. That's
0: so sexual. I have a prophecy inside of me.
1: She says, The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches, born to those who have thrice defied him, born as the seventh month dies, and the Dark Lord will mark him as his equal. But he will have power the Dark Lord knows not, and either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord will be born as the seventh month dies. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's some heavy shit.
1: So somebody was up there listening in Mm -hmm. because Dumbledore says to him, remember how you guys went to Hogshead and thought thought it would be a safe place to talk?
0: Mm -hmm. Turns
1: out it wasn't. Right. He was like, that's a shady ass place. Mm -hmm. Somebody overheard this. So what Voldemort heard was the one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches. Born to those who have thrice defied him. Born as the seventh month dies and the Dark Lord will mark him as his equal. Right. Just like that first chunk. What Voldemort missed, because when that person heard that, they went, oh shit, I gotta go tell the boss. (laughs) And so they went running out like, idiot, why wouldn't you hear the rest of it? Right. Is that either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives.
0: Right, right. And I think also very clearly the part that Voldemort missed was, But he will possess power that the Dark Lord knows not of, or what? Yeah, yeah. kind of important. Yeah, so I mean, Voldy missed some really important shit. (laughs) Right, Vold. Oh, old Vold. You also like need to choose your people a little better, bruh. I know. (laughs) Oh shit! I gotta go tell a boss. This
1: is why Voldemort was surprised when Harry didn't die. He's like, oh, the kid born at the end of July. See. check His parents check thrice to find him check. oh it's this kid i'm gonna go ahead and totally. kill this kid totally totally what he didn't hear was what you just said right he has powers that you don't right which is love baby
0: right and this is kind of the quintessential voldemort mistake is he goes sweet got it i'm the shit i have the information i need i can i'm not gonna make any mistakes Because I'm the shit. Yeah. So he's just going to kind of march in and do what needs to be done because it's like unfathomable to him that he would fuck anything up. Yeah. Because he just thinks he is that good. And there's
1: something just very biblical about this whole thing, mm-hmm. that the dark Lord of them all, there's one thing that he can't penetrate through. He can't penetrate through love, the love from the Father. That's not lost on me. That's sort of like of Judeo-Christian dynamic. Of course. You've never seen Passion of the Christ, right? Hell no. It's very disturbing, but it's a brilliant film. Well, there's a scene where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He tells his guys, he's like, hey, hang out here. Don't fall asleep, which they're like, oh, we won't. And then they do. And he's like, I got to go take care of something. Well, he's praying and he's praying to God. And he's like, please don't make me have to do this. If there's any other way we can go about this besides me dying on the cross and all this, if there's any other way out of it, give me a sign. Please don't make me go through this because he knows what's coming up. Yeah, And the devil, the character that is the devil in the film is like, Speaking at him while he's trying to pray, and he's like, You fool, you idiot! Like, who are you even talking to? Do you even understand? Look, it's like this the three temptations of Christ, where um, the devil is like, I could give you this, I could give you this. Like, what are you doing right now? You know what an idiot you look like? There's this cockiness from the devil, but what the devil can't break through is this love that Jesus has for his dad and his dad has for him. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to get preachy about Christian stuff, but I'm saying like, it's not in a literary way. It's not lost that there's this giant good and evil situation going on where love is the thing that the dark Lord can't break through.
0: And that's so cool. It's really beautiful. It also calls to mind one of my favorite Tumblr posts of all time, where it's like a conversation between Judas and Jesus and Judas is like, all right, Jesus, um, So I'll see you later tonight for the Last Supper. And Jesus is like, the what supper? And Judas is like, the regular supper.
1: (laughs) So the next interesting tidbit we get is that it could have been Neville. (gasps) Yeah super important. Break down how it could have been Neville.
0: So it could have been Neville because Neville's parents and Harry's parents were both in the Order of the Phoenix. Yes. The Order being the Order of the Phoenix. Order up. (laughs) The Order. The first version, not the current version. Right. Which is like the second iteration of the Order of the Phoenix. Order 2.0. Order 2.0. And both the Longbottoms and the Potters had thrice defied Voldemort, whatever that means, right? Yeah, maybe we'll find
1: out. Maybe we won't.
0: Sure. Both Neville and Harry have birthdays at the end of July Mm -hmm. in the same year. Yep. And it could have been either of them. So basically, Voldemort made the prophecy be about Harry, because of the line, the Dark Lord will mark him as his equal. Yeah, Because this prophecy was made before either of them were born. And Harry's like, sweet! So this could still be about Neville, which is a little bit like, Harry, goddammit. Seriously, <laughs> like, so cringe. <laughs> he's like, sweet, I might be off the hook. <laughs> um, and, and Dumbledore's like... Sorry to burst your bubble, pal. You cannot hoist this responsibility off on your friend who has, like, done nothing but be awesome to you. Yeah. Unfortunately, bruh, the night that Voldemort killed your parents and tried to kill you, he locked it in. That this prophecy is about you because he marked you as his equal. Right. He marked it as you, man. so it is no longer even remotely possible that it right. is about Neville. It is about you. It's Schrodinger's cat. Exactly.
1: The cat's either dead or alive when you open the box because the observation of it makes it so. Exactly. Schrodinger's yes. orb 2.0.
0: Yes. <laughs> Schrodinger's orb. Yeah. Could have been Neville. Mm. mm.
1: It's like should have known better. Yes. I, I encourage everyone out there if it's been a while or maybe never since you've heard the Richard Mark song, should have known better, you have really got to give that jam another go.
0: Do you? Do you really have to? Now, love is just a faded memory. I don't think you have to do that. The other really interesting point that Dumbledore makes is that Voldemort chose the half blood of those two children, not the pure blood, because Neville Longbottom comes from a pure blood family. Right. And Harry Potter does not. You know, his mother, the Potters are a pure blood line, Mm -hmm. but his mother, Lily, is muggle born. Yeah. You know, so Harry is a half blood. wizard <laughs> looking for the word what's the word wizard
1: <laughs> or as I like to
0: call him, magicians <laughs> magician so he chose the half-blood baby not the pure blood he chose the one that was like him which there's something kind of poetic about that but also something just so Voldemort about that right like oh I'm gonna mark him as my ego I'm gonna choose the kid that's most like me you know, there's also like something so narcissistic about that, too. If you remember like where narcissistic comes from, it's the story of Narcissus who got so captivated by his own reflection that he eventually, I think, starved to death. He went mad or something. He either went mad or starved to death by the lake because he couldn't stop staring at himself. Oh, God. Yeah. Like that's, that's Voldemort, right? I'm going to choose the half blood like me.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He sees himself in there. Very much. The crazy thing, though, is that when he, this is a little tidbit I forgot to say a while ago, is that he gave Harry a future and a power. Yeah. When he tried to kill him. He forged that connection between them. Voldemort, in trying to kill Harry Potter, gave Harry Potter the powers that it would take to eventually kill Voldemort. If that is what is going to happen in the book.
0: Right. And so let's talk about that for a second. Neither can live while the other survives. But they're both alive right now. Right. So what do you make of this? I don't
1: really understand. Like I would need more specifics on that. What do you mean, neither one can live while the other survives? Eventually? Right. Does it mean one of them has to die at the other one's hand or they just won't die at all?
0: So the last line is, Either must die at the hand of the other. So basically, in order for one of them, neither one of them will meet an end that's not at the hand of the other. Really? So neither one of them will die a death that's not at the hand of the other. So
1: what would have happened, say, if Harry would have just been gobbled up by Fluffy?
0: That would not happen because that's not in the prophecy.
1: Yeah. Right. Which explains like a lot of jams that Harry's gotten out of the universe itself was bent in a direction
0: but think about it this way that also means that if Voldemort is going to meet his end does think like can Harry go on to live
1: or do they both have to die right yeah because if the only way that Harry can truly die is by Voldemort's hand and the reverse is true if Harry kills Voldemort then he'll never die right So I like... Like either it gives you mortality or you both have to die at each other's hands. Right. And it also makes me think like, I don't know, maybe Voldemort has set something up behind the scenes, you know? Mm. Like set something up behind the scenes... For protection, because Harry is just like this human boy, but Voldemort has all this weird shit where he's like in a body, and then he's not in a body, and he's a little baby, and he's like he has like sort of different forms that he can live in. Yes, so it makes me think: oh, to kill Harry, put a bullet in his head; he's human, right? To kill Voldemort, like what if he's floating around as a spirit and you can't shoot him, or what if he's like a wizard? But he's protected with charms. Like, it's not equal, I feel like. It's yeah. not human versus human. Right. Tom Riddle was a human. Voldemort is some other thing that I don't understand yet. That, that is legit. That's legit. So when Harry says, I haven't any powers he hasn't got. Yeah. I couldn't fight the way he did tonight. I can't possess people or kill them. Talking about Voldemort. And this is such a great line. Dumbledore says, there is a room in the Department of Mysteries, interrupted Dumbledore that is kept locked at all times. It contains a force that is at once more wonderful and more terrible than death, than human intelligence, than forces of nature. It is also perhaps the most mysterious of the many subjects for study that reside there. It is the power held within that room that you possess in such quantities and which Voldemort has not at all. That power took you to save Sirius tonight. That power also saved you from possession by Voldemort because he could not bear to reside in a body so full of the force he detests. In the end, it mattered not that you could not close your mind. It was your heart that saved you.
0: Oh. So to me, that is that locked door that they couldn't get through. In the Department of Mysteries, it's love is in that room. Mm. What do you think it looks like in there? <sighs>
1: Like the Walgreens section, the Valentine's section. (laughs) How dare you? How dare you? (sighs) Maybe just like white light or something. I don't know.
0: I feel like it looks like twinkly lights. So,
1: you know, we're closing in on the, the very end of this chapter. We still have a little bit more to talk about. But I have to say that the most profound thing that hit me during this chapter Um, Not only all the emotional stuff that brought up a lot of things in me, but I set out on this journey to try to discover why people love this series so much and why they're so emotional about it, why there's such a connection. Going to LeakyCon and seeing that fandom, that fandom doesn't act like a lot of other fandoms. I would say that intensity-wise, they're close to Star Wars in like how intense their fandom is, but there's something else going on that I've never been able to put my finger on. Mm. There's, a, there's a warmth and a welcoming to the fandom that's very anti-gatekeeper. Yeah. It's very, it's not like, oh, we're Potter fans. It's like, everyone should be a Potter fan. Please come join us. Read these books. Let me yeah. share this with you. Yeah. And what it dawned on me is right there, like what's locked up in the room is his heart. It's love. It's a shared value system. It's the way that people that are really emotionally diehard fans of this series, they see the world in a certain way, and they choose to still believe in the power of love and goodness. It's about not letting the cynicism of the world devour your fucking soul. Which makes sense because, you know, it's been pretty public that JK's had some depression bouts and she's fleshing it out in this story. But it made me want to go back to LeakyCon and be like, oh, my God, like, I get it now. And it also makes sense why when I meet people that are really big fans, like hardcore fans of this series, like a lot of the people that we've met through the show, like people on Discord and stuff. Why are they such good people? Why does this series attract such decent, wonderful people? And why are they able to connect? Yeah. Two Harry Potter fans. I feel like any two Harry Potter fans in the world can sit and just talk for hours. Yes. And it's this. It's this shared value system. It's this belief in the power of love and the power of goodness. It's this vulnerability in admitting your mistakes. It's seeing the hero inside of yourself, Yeah. although you also see the darkness inside of your own self. It's all of those things. And so this was the first time that I went, okay, I get it.
0: Wow. You know,
1: I won't fully get it until I finish the entire series, but I can say that this is where I'll stick the flag in. I love it. I finally figured out why this series is so important to people. And it's just so beautiful and it's so wonderful. And it's so entertaining. And like, I feel like it's now I'm starting to connect with it in an emotional way.
0: I'm so glad to hear that. And you're so right. I think any two Harry Potter fans can get together and talk for hours and not just about the series. They can get together and talk for hours about anything, right? Yeah. You know, just talk about life and other things. And I think you'll find like in our Discord server, Yes, we talk about the series, but we actually don't talk about the series much because we don't want to spoil anything for you. So most of the time in the main channels, because we have one channel where called the restricted section where Kevin's not allowed, where we talk about spoilery things. But that's not even the most active channel at all, by far. So in the main channels, we're usually talking about other stuff.
1: Yeah. God know? knows the t- the types of things that are talked about. In like that,
0: that one thing, the parish, I can't remember the name of it, but we've been like dying over this like parish meeting that went viral. Like this week has been hilarious in Discord.
1: And when we went to LeakyCon, I think I've talked about this on the show before when we were talking about Ravenclaws and stuff, but you know, I kind of had enough after a while and went and found this little sports bar in the convention center and sat down and got a beer and was just sitting like reading the paper by myself in a bar. And these two girls came and sat down beside me that were friends with each other that were like one was from out of town and one I think might have been locally that live locally. And so they had met up and said they were just sitting next to me. They had leaky con badges on They had Ravenclaw shit on, I had Ravenclaw shit on, and I was just sitting there drinking my beer, and at one point, one of them said, hey, Ravenclaw, and I was like, cool, are you enjoying the convention so far? Just like, you know, being nice and making small talk with me, and like, typically, like, a grown man by himself somewhere is not something that anyone wants to approach, (laughs) right? Much less like, two married women who are like, minding their own business, right? (laughs) But they just struck up this conversation with me and then we started talking and they kind of were like, well, why don't you join us? And so we were just drinking beer and talking about the convention and they were telling me about their lives and I was telling them about how, um, you know, I'd never read the series and all this stuff. The next day I go down there, run into two other people, also Ravenclaw, also female, that also talked to me. And I made these new friends over these two days. Yeah. And I was just like blown away by like, God, these people are so nice. Yeah. I wonder if they're just representative of this fandom. And it wasn't like, you know, I was just minding my own business. Yeah. But it was that, oh, this guy's by himself. Yeah, Maybe we should say hey to him. And they totally didn't treat me weird because I was like a guy. They totally didn't treat me weird because I didn't know jack shit about Harry Potter. Yeah. They were just so nice. And I still have. I'm friends with a few of them on social media and still kind of keep up with them. But now looking back, I'm like, yeah, because these are people who are really passionate about this, the meat of this story, which is like kindness and being a good person.
0: I know. So nice.
1: So we end the chapter with um, Dumbledore saying what I read last episode, but I'm going to read it again. I feel I owe you another explanation, Harry, said Dumbledore hesitantly. You may perhaps have wondered why I never chose you as a prefect. I must confess that I rather thought you had enough responsibility to be going on with. Harry looked at him and saw a tear trickling down Dumbledore's face into his long silver beard. Mm. What do you think that tear is?
0: I mean, probably just the, the resignation and acceptance of the fact that he has finally told harry this information that he just got done telling him he's spent five years now just in this constant battle within himself of knowing he's got to tell him all of this and knowing what it means to tell him all of this because i mean even the conclusion that we just came to about neither can live or, you know, they have to die by the other's hand.
1: That's also really
0: Harry sad. didn't even really come to that conclusion here. I know. And Dumbledore didn't really spell it out for I him. I know. So there's that. hmm There's two, just the
1: catharsis of him finally getting it out. Right. Three, there's just the regret of his flaw. Yeah. That he, like, didn't tell him sooner. But you know what I think is also here? What's huh. also in that tier the pride that he has for Harry.
0: Oh, well, that's a nice sentiment.
1: You may have wondered why I never chose you as a prefect. It's like, not only is it the regret of, man, I wish I wouldn't have held you back. I wish I would have told you some stuff. But it's also like, you'd have made a great prefect.
0: That's true. You're the
1: best Hogwarts student. You're the best that ever was. You're the best around. Around. Oh. So thank God we got through that one. Good Lord. We have one. What do we only have one more chapter? One more chapter. One more chapter called The Second War Begins. You got your wish. Are you happy? Now that I've been through this emotional minefield of feels, Uh I'm ready for a little war. Are you you?
0: Really? You still want war now?
1: What is it good for? (laughs)
0: <laughs> now that you know how emotional and deep this book can get you still want bloodshed
1: maybe i don't i don't know what i want anymore you still want blood uh, why don't they just end the series here and just let us go live our lives here you wanted to end here so the next books are the half-blood prince and yeah. the deathly hallows yeah hallows hallows
0: hallows like halloween yeah Yeah.
1: Not the deathly hollers because you still don't understand what a holler is. I
0: still don't understand what a holler is. I never will understand what a holler is. You have literally showed me a holler. I don't understand what the difference is between that and a valley. And a holler? It makes no goddamn sense to me. It makes no sense. It's a stupid word. (laughs) Okay. It makes no sense to me.
1: What's next on the agenda
0: there, Wizard Pants? (laughs) Um, Well, this was, you know, a a big chapter for prophecies. So, you know, no pressure. But what is your prophecy? I couldn't bring
1: myself to go heavy on the prophecy. That was probably a good call. I just, as a matter of self-preservation... I didn't want to go deep into things because I just, I don't even want to think about what it could be.
0: We've been through enough.
1: Right. Yeah. So I have a little simple PG prophecy. Okay. I think Buckbeak's going to go back to Hagrid.
0: I love this prophecy.
1: You know, he was hurt by Creature. Yeah. So clearly Buckbeak's like kind of in danger. Umbridge is out. Mm-hmm. Hagrid is back. Mm-hmm. I think Buckbeak's going to, I think, um, what's his face? Dumbledee is going to take Bucky Bird back to school.
0: Buckbeak deserves that
1: at this point, right? Yeah, plus a giant bird chicken thing like that doesn't need to live in a bedroom. In the city. No, it needs to be out in the pumpkin patch.
0: Yeah, come on. Let Buckbeak, free Buckbeak. I'm going to pick it. We'll see. We'll see if you get your your prophecy there. What is your prophetic Hedwig's digital get down hoot?
1: that's unsolved mysteries you know it goes
0: oh i'm thinking of the old one. Oh, okay well that was the old theme too that's all right between the two of us yeah well our hedwig's digital get down comes from a i don't think she's a new listener but she's a new emailer recently her name is ananda not amanda an- cool. Ananda, yes, with an N. So her name is spelled almost exactly like mine, but with an N instead of an M. So,
1: oh, and if she was in the South, we'd call her Ananda.
0: Ananda. She sent us an audio question. And I really love this question. It's about the difference between Harry and Sirius's childhoods. So I thought it was kind of appropriate for this one as kind of a final goodbye to Sirius. Yeah. But also because there was so much about Harry's childhood in this chapter too so let's hear what she had to say
1: hey kevin amanda anada here we know that sirius and harry have a lot in common especially when it comes to their childhood who do you think was worse
0: off harry being lied to neglected and punished for who he was or sirius being brainwashed by his parents twisted and skewed worldviews
1: good question
0: such a great question
1: I think I have to say Sirius is, had it worse. Okay. Because, yeah, Harry's guardians were dicks. Mm-hmm. They were mean to him. They were neglectful of him. They were, like, emotionally abusive. But Sirius grew up with, like, Nazi parents. Yeah. And, like, this whole crazy family that all were, like, filled with, like, hatred and stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, what's her name? Petunia and old... Vernon. Vernon. Petunia and Vernon are awful people, yes. right? But I don't think they're, like, extremist. Right. They're just dickheads.
0: <laughs> they're not, like, white supremacists. Right, that we know of. Right. Yeah. I, I think I'm inclined to to agree with you. I'm going to say serious as well. And for essentially the same reasons, and I'm, I'm just going to build and add in one more factor, which is that Harry had the added bonus, if you can call it that, of not knowing about the existence of the wizarding world until he went to Hogwarts. So he essentially had kind of a clean slate to build his own belief system about the wizarding world. Yeah, that's a good point. Whereas Sirius kind of had to swim upstream. And so, you know, he had, yeah, I mean, he had to kind of fight against the wind. He had this belief system that went completely contradicted everything he was being taught and had to fight against that. Because I think that in terms of the actual neglect and abuse, we don't get outright the treatment that both of them got explicitly stated. There's illusions that they were both abused, neglected, and we can infer that maybe they were on equal footing there so if we infer that then I would say for that reason I'm I'm gonna have to kind of give the edge to Sirius yeah I agree but yeah terrible upbringings but for like in totally different ways yeah but yeah what a cool question though. great question love it God, I don't even remember. I guess I read first, right? With So, I'm up first with marriage yeah. lessons. Okay. So, my marriage lesson comes from this flaw in Dumbledore's plan because I do agree that it was a flaw, even though, you know, when we talked about it, I very much acknowledge Dumbledore's reasons for not letting Harry into the truth and Yeah, I mean, I get it. But ultimately, I do think it was a a flaw. I think it was a mistake. I think, yeah. So my marriage lesson, let your partner in. They do not benefit from you protecting them from the world. That's my marriage lesson. And while we don't have like giant wizarding wars going on and prophecies and stuff to deal with, I think that Ultimately, what I'm talking about is remembering to face things together and not try and just protect your partner from stress and challenges Mm -hmm. and take care of things yourself, but to face them together and and let them be a part of, to, to quote Hamilton, let them be a part of the narrative.
1: Right. Let them yeah. be in the room where it happens. Also,
0: another put nicely done. Nicely done. Just big ups. I, love I like that. that one. Thank you. What's your marriage lesson? You're so
1: smart that you extrapolated that from the story.
0: Hey, thank you. So mine
1: comes from uh, whoever it was that was spying on Dumbledore and Trelawney's interview who didn't get the full story before they ran off and told Voldemort half of what was going on. And that's get all of the information from your partner before reacting. I love it. I am super guilty of this. This (laughs) might be perhaps my greatest relationship flaw is that a lot of times when you tell me something, one, I don't listen to the actual full explanation of what you're talking about before I react. I also don't think through why you're giving me this information. <laughs> I just immediately am like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you'll say, honey, I was thinking about um what if we painted the mantle. And I instantly am like, you want to paint the mantle? We don't even have the walls painted. You want to paint the mantle? Well, I hope you're going to go to the store and catch COVID to buy the paint. You want to paint the mantle? Great. All of a sudden we're a mantle painting business. Well, isn't that a great <laughs> new part of our relationship? And you're like, what I was going to say is I think we should paint the mantle with light <sighs> using this bulb that I just bought. It's like, get the whole story. A lot of times I do not get the whole story before I start reacting.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it's, that's what, we all have those things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I love that. And I, I mean, I realize that I'm just echoing what you just said, but really cool extrapolation from this chapter, like. Yeah.
1: My brain goes, what part of this is going to cause me discomfort? (laughs) (laughs) That's my male ego. That's like, cool. Rob, yeah, there's all this other information that you have, too. That's fine. I'm only worried about the stuff that might potentially affect my comfort in some way.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, we are mammals and we are often concerned about our own comfort and survival. That's (laughs) very normal. Love it. I think we are just really good at this. Can I just say? I think we're... What, our marriage lessons? Yeah.
1: I don't always feel like I am.
0: You are. Trust me. Trust me. Trust. You ready to roll the credits? Do it. Before we reveal our winners and losers and terrible bad jokes this week, a few reminders. If you love this show and want to help it grow, there are two things you can do. Number one, consider joining one of our membership tiers on Patreon. With monthly donation levels ranging from $1 to $20 a month and benefits like extra content, snail mail from us, on-air shoutouts, and more, it's the most direct way to show your support. Find out more at patreon.com slash theboxintheboxhound. And thank you to our existing patrons. We could not make this show without you. The other way to help our growth is to subscribe, rate, and review The Fox and the Foxhound wherever you get your podcasts. This will help us by leading more people to the show. If you have a question you'd like featured on the show, send it to us at thefoxandthefoxhound at gmail.com. Audio recordings of your question are welcome as well. Or you can send us a question through Instagram at thefoxandthefoxhound.com. Twitter at Fox and Foxhound, no these, no thys, no thous, just fox and foxhound, Facebook.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound, or our website, the Just click contact us. Be sure to join our Discord server to chat with us, our patrons, and fellow listeners. You can find the link on our website, in our Instagram bio, and in the pinned posts on Facebook and Twitter. We'd like to say a special thank you to Judson Hurd, who composed the theme for our show. Find out more about him and his music at judsonhurd.com. That's J-U-D-S-O-N-H-U-R-D.com. And finally, a big thank you to our Manager of Mischief, Minister of Magic, and all-around superstar, Josh Bailey. Okay, back to the show. All right, all right. All right, all right, all right.
1: All right. <laughs> you Talk do about s- the Wizard Boy.
0: such a good McConaughey. Well, who is your winner? It's gonna be my man Dumbledore. It's your man Dumbledore. Why is Dumbledore getting the winner crown?
1: Because he finally gave us all the information we've been waiting so long for.
0: Okay. All right. Has he made some mistakes along the way? Yes. But he loves the boy. Okay. Why are okay. you yelling me about for it? For God's sake. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, it it's a it's a bit um it's a bit Stockholm syndrome-y to to say that he's the winner cuz he finally gave us the information that he himself has been holding out on giving but right. all right yeah. sure um my winner i'm giving it to harry because he challenged the man in front of him on a yeah. lot of things that needed to be asked you know he he said a lot of things that needed to be said who's your loser
1: Whoever it was that didn't hear the rest of the prophecy in the (laughs) hogshead, What a fucking loser. I'm glad that he that
0: that is how it went down. Right. But you had one job. (laughs) So I guess in our in our promo photo for this, it'll just be a question mark at this point. That's like me saying, babe, I'm going to run up to
1: (laughs) the store. Is there anything you need? And you're like, yes. Could I get, um, give me a Snickers and I just walk out the door and you're like a diet c- uh, Okay, All well, right. fuck. And then I, I guess I'm just getting a Snickers.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. God. Okay. My loser. Dumbledore. Ooh. Hear me out.
1: Jumping bad on grandpa.
0: This was not an easy one for me to give. I am not giving it to him for any of the mistakes that he owned up for and apologized for, to be clear, because I do not believe that you should punish someone for things that they admit they did and apologize for doing. Ultimately, I'm giving him the loser award because for all this talking he did, he does not once ask Harry how he's feeling. He tells him how he's feeling Oh, God, that's a really good boy. He assumes how he's feeling. He even tells him that he knows how he's feeling, but he never once says, how are you feeling? He doesn't say, what do you need? He doesn't doesn't actually, I don't think, ask him very much of anything.
1: You know what Harry's song really is? That song, everybody's talking at me. Yeah. I can't hear a word they're saying. Isn't that Harry Chapin? I don't know. Harry Chapin
0: Potter? Maybe, maybe, but yeah, I mean, I feel like this is like he no. deserves
1: it. You justified that well, actually. As much as I hate to admit old grandpa's
0: flawed. I mean, I'm just going to leave it there. I'm just going to leave it there. This was a tough dad joke, but I have. Do you want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. <sighs> this is so stupid. Just prepare yourself. So, unfortunately, somebody else, you know, in Voldemort's circle, got the interview dates mixed up around the same time and ended up losing his hearing when he listened into a different conversation. What conversation was that? Yeah, he was overhearing the interview for Symbol Trelawney. Hey) <sighs> <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. I was emotionally distraught. What kind of dad joke can you come up with? When, sorry. Just just do yours.
1: So did you know that Buckbeak um, shaves his legs? I did not know that. But he doesn't use a razor. Oh, really? No, he uses McNair.
0: <laughs> I really hope that Nair exists outside the U.S. <laughs> Maybe not, but. If not, do you remember years ago, this long
1: conversation we got into about how oh my um, God. people should not use Nair to remove
0: pubic hair? The reason we got into this conversation is because you were insisting that it was probably okay. Yeah. And I said, no, it's not. Huh. Have you ever put Nair on your legs? And I was like, no. <laughs> it burns like a motherfucker. It's like killing the follicles or something. It burns your hair off. I mean, it works, but it you pay for it it burns you would not want that anywhere near your taint I'm just saying <laughs> you do not want that anywhere near you don't that sensitive sit skin in a bucket no god let's shout out our marauders properly we only gave them like a brief thank you last week since yes. we were splitting up the episode so for our theme this week we're going to assume that all of our marauders were somewhere in the hog's head during this very eventful prophecy making yeah what kind of cocktail did they order at the Hogshead? Okay.
1: We're assuming also that they all drink alcohol, which is probably not true.
0: Yeah. 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 And although, I mean, they could have ordered a non-alcoholic drink too. That's true. That's on the table for yeah. you. Let's kick it off with Sammy Tills, Samantha Tillman. PBR. Totally. Naturally. Yes. Melissa Hunter. Meliza Hunter. Oh, Melisa's probably going with uh,
1: an old smoky scotch. Yum, Kelly Moore. Straight up bourbon.
0: Natch. Faith Kenfield. Cosmo. Ooh, Clancy. Amber Biggs. A light beer like a Kolsch. Ooh, I love a Kolsch. Austin Scruggins. Austin is um,
1: just a black coffee.
0: I was thinking one of those experimental drinks where you have to like inhale the vapor of the alcohol. You know, it's like one of those all
1: super fancy things. Yes. I think Austin's just gonna get a black coffee.
0: I think you might be right. Jennifer
1: Ayers. Jennifer Ayers. Um probably like a very floral gin. Yum, like a Hendrix. Like a gin and tonic. Lovely.
0: Maeve Richards.
1: Maeve's gonna have a glass of your house red.
0: I love that. I, I would not want to know what the house red is at the Hawk's head, admittedly. Really? <laughs> Mallory Gallagher. Mallory's going to have a chilled Chardonnay. Mm. God, you're making me want a glass of Chardonnay really bad. Sarah Epting. Does Sarah like?
1: We're going to say Sarah's feeling a little wild. She's going to get a shot in a beer. Love it.
0: Josh Bailey.
1: Josh Bailey is going to have an old-fashioned made with four roses bourbon.
0: Mm. Kara Heller. Kara's going to have a Manhattan. So I love a Manhattan. Me too. God, mm. Let's go get one. Yes. It's Sunday, we can't. We can't. We live in the South. God damn it. Vicky Gutherless. Just a
1: solid pint. It's like a German lager.
0: Lovely. Brianne Brown.
1: Probably a brown ale.
0: Mmm.
1: <laughs> so creative. <laughs> it's so delicious.
0: Dean Heath.
1: Dean's just gonna have like a smoothie that has like a bunch of uh you know really nutritious stuff with like microgreens. greens and
0: very stuff. very like healthy yeah. yes heather bevels will not be drinking alcohol
1: no and her baby's coming any day now yes um heather's gonna have uh we're just gonna give her like an insure
0: an y- insure yeah yes just for the vitamins and stuff absolutely i think they're delicious that's what i've always heard ben clark we're giving ben a super big hug and then he's ordering a drink
1: right um ben ben's gonna be drinking with me so i think we're each gonna have a whiskey on the rocks and we're each gonna have a big pint
0: love it lexi phage our newest marauder
1: Lexi's going old school Red Bull and vodka.
0: Ooh. Oh my God, that is old school now, isn't it? It is, yeah. I love Red Bull. I haven't had a Red Bull in so long. I love the way it tastes. I
1: don't drink energy drinks. Yeah. I don't drink soft drinks. I really do only drink caffeine like maybe twice a month now. Yeah, but I love the taste of Red God Bull. Damn it! If you ever so leave good. a Red Bull can in your car on a hot day and come back, your car
0: smells so good. It smells so. It makes me want to die. It smells God. so good. Where's I don't know why. Caffeine free Red Bull. God damn it! It tastes. <laughs> it's awful. It doesn't taste the same.
1: Oh really? Yeah. They have it?
0: Well, no. I'm thinking of diet Red Bull. I guess caffeine free Red Bull. I'm sure does not exist because what's the point? Yeah. Josh Kennedy.
1: Josh Kennedy's gonna have one of those really um high octane beers, like a 12%er. Oh, like a totally. Belgian ale.
0: Oh yeah. 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 A triple,
1: Belgian triple, maybe.
0: Sure. I know nothing about beer. Nick Tillman, Nicky Tootsels. Uh, Nick's gonna have
1: uh whiskey straight. Whiskey neat. Neat, two fingers. Whiskey neat with a pickleback. Sure.
0: What? What's a pickleback?
1: That's where you chase your you chase your shot with um. Pickle juice.
0: I almost expected you to say nothing. What's the matter with you? <laughs> For some reason. Look at this pickle bag.
1: <laughs> how about Pete Collins? Pete's going to have a nice dark beer. It's mm. probably this time of year still kind of rainy and cold in England.
0: That's how it is here today.
1: Yeah. It makes me want to get under a blanket. he's going to have a stout. A good solid
0: stout. Yum. How about Lindsay Prestige? Dom Perion like she would ever let anything less pass her lips right yes daniel marks day marks Dagum. uh probably a mick ultra <laughs> the champagne of
1: beers oh wait that's um that's miller high Life. miller high life yeah he's gonna have a mick ultra yeah because he's a
0: dad yeah you know, that's what kid- dads drink yeah <laughs> what about michael terry
1: michael terry well, Michael Terry has his own little bourbon bar set up in his house. He's got like, so. high,
0: he's got a high bar.
1: Yeah. Like a I,
0: metaphorical I bar. I saw
1: on social media that he was using some like Foxwood was like a brand. Yeah. Of something that he was using. Mm-hmm. I have to get more information from him, but a fancy bourbon drink that he made at his own house bar.
0: Absolute, that he brought with him to the Hogshead. He was yeah. like, oh, I'm good. I'm yeah. good. They, they really,
1: ALE frowns upon that type of thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: And finally, how about Natalia Ward? What is the warden ordering? The warden's going to have one of those
1: big, giant, like fish bowls,
0: <laughs> yes! different
1: liquors. And yes! it's like, that's what white girls drink in their mid-20s, I will twenties. share
0: it with you, Natalia. Yeah, I'll get you guys
1: two straws. Oh, my God. It's, got, it's blue. It's got the Swedish fish floating
0: around in it. And then you, like, get it for free if you drink it within a certain yeah. amount of time. She's like, oh, my God, I'm so pissed. We're doing it. We are pissed. When we go to England, you and me, Natalia, we're ordering one of these ridiculous They're gonna fish They're going to be like, we don't sell that shit
1: in our country. We have self-respect.
0: We're going to figure one out. <laughs> As always, thank you so much to our Marauder patrons and all of our patrons and all of you listening. And I want to give a
1: special shout out (gasps) to the Rambling Raven Puffs podcast. Holy moly. Who had us on as guests. We had so much fun. And Amy and Jen were delightful. Oh, my God. And we'll let you know in that or Amy will let us know, I guess, when that episode is going to air.
0: Yeah, that'll be on March 1st. Cool. That'll be our episode. I think you
1: guys will like it. Two deeply intelligent women. Holy moly. Talking about Harry Potter. And um, I'd have to say you, Amy and Jen, being the only guy in the room, pretty
0: intimidating. The the brain
1: power that's in that room.
0: (laughs) It was really fun. And it was also fun. And I I want to know if this was, like, weird for you to go back to book one. It
1: was very strange. It felt like such an innocent little place to be. I know. And Jen's in an unusual place where she read the series, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. But it's been a really long time ago, and now she's kind of started over. Yeah. So she's kind of new, kind of not, mm-hmm. but doesn't have the full story. Yeah. And I think they met because they both are huge fans of gothic literature. Yeah. And they have a gothic literature podcast too. Then they've become friends and their chemistry together is really cool. And they bring up a lot of things that I've never thought of before. They really had my brain like, Thinking about things like totally. young, toxic masculinity and that type of stuff. Very interesting perspectives on the series.
0: It was really fun. And we had some laughs and I think yeah. it's going to be a great show. It's it's a really cool endeavor that they're embarking on. They're doing two chapters every episode. And we have already scheduled uh, some returns for ourselves. We're going to be returning once for book two and once for book three. Cool. So we will be back with them in the coming months. And we were just so excited. Yeah. So thanks again to them for having us on as well. Yeah. Thanks a lot, you guys.
1: We enjoyed it. And And, thank you all for listening.
0: Yes. And we will be back with you next week to put Order of the Phoenix to bed. Book five. Under your belt. Almost.
1: Don't take money. (laughs) Don't take fame. Oh my God. Harry Potter, it doesn't take a credit card to ride this train. That's the power of love.